Welcome to the Ordinary Youth Ministry Podcast, where we are cultivating conversations about our world that help us impart a joyful and enduring faith to your teenagers. Your hosts are Andrew Unger, Alan Vosberg, and me, John Mark Smith. This week, we're diving into an article called Minister to Next Generation by Leveraging the Relational Power of Healthy Churches by Carl Vodders. If you'd like to read with us, you can find it at carlvodders.com or find the link in our show notes. We're glad you're here with us. Okay, guys. So I've been thinking about AI lately, right? Oh, it's everywhere, all over Twitter. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'm an editor, so it, it comes up about how it could be useful or problematic. Yeah. So it, it's made me wonder what would the first, or what will the first AI youth minister be like? Hmm. So I think it probably depends on how it was trained. Like if it, if the first AI youth minister becomes an AI youth minister by like accumulating whatever the internet says about youth ministers, I feel like be it'll be just like, yeah, it'll be real bad. Uh, <laughs> I think it will do lots of pizza and break stuff. I, so, so my genuine thought, cause I actually wanted to, to put some thought into this. And I think that where it would come up the most and be used first is in communication and texting with students, right? Like, mm. like he essentially, there was this ministry that I briefly worked with back a long time ago where it was sort of like a call in when you have emotional, spiritual concerns and someone would talk with you and pray with you, but they developed a chat session where you then chat with people as well, you know? And so that seems like the next step for youth ministry is like, Hey, having a rough time. Um, send me a text message and we'll chat about it. And then the AI is just <laughs> chatting with students about their spiritual dilemmas. That strikes me as yes. horrible, but possible. Kind of like how you can set that up on a Facebook, like if you have like a business or a group, right? Like that you can ask them st- questions that they already have standard program answered for. I hate that. Well, <laughs> you're right, but I hate it. I don't I, I think that that would immediately be a sign of a church you should run away from. But oh, somewhere, sure. somehow, there's a church that wants to be a big church providing more than they can and can't afford, you know, to staff it. And so I could see someone somewhere doing it. Okay, here's the aspect of youth ministry that I want AI to take over, which is a slightly different question than I asked originally, <laughs> but I'm going to do what I want. You do what you want. Games. I want AI yes. to do games, right? I want AI to make up games. Because like the best youth group games are always the ones Ooh. that are like weird and unique to your particular youth ministry. And it's like, like okay, at the last church we had Dodge Bowl because I, I think like I was still interviewing maybe for the job. And like I showed up to youth group and they played a game of dodgeball with like paper bowls. Um, like paper plate <laughs> things and they you can throw them and they like kind of fly but they kind of change direction it's a lot of fun uh, we played dodgeball for the next 14 years like it was <laughs> awesome um, and we like kept the a ball legacy got, game. it was a legacy game so you know that's the kind of thing when it's like specific to your youth group and I feel like AI could come up with some like real weird particular rule like generate something that is not just generic but you take the what the AI yes. gives you. And, and it needs to be trained. Also make it logical. Be, 
yeah, you it's also be it can't be too complicated because that's my other pet peeve with some of these like unique fun games. People, I'll be like, ask some youth pastor, like, hey, what do you do? And they'll talk, start telling me. I'm like, look, it took you ten minutes to explain the game to me. I'm never going to do that with my students. That took too long. <laughs> that game sounds terrible. Uh, it sounds super fun. If you have a group minutes. of people who all understand how to play it, you know, it's it's my wife's problem with board games. If it takes her longer to learn it than to play it, she doesn't care. You know. That's like what's that? What's the board game from Parks and Recreation? Uh, Cones of <laughs> Dunshire. Cones of Dunshire. Yeah, <laughs> yes. you don't want to have a Cones of Dunshire scenario. Um, and yet, that's an example where it worked out pretty well. So maybe, maybe you do. I mean, some people I, like games like that. Some people. Not do. everybody is like Carissa. Yeah, but <laughs> some people have bad taste, so that doesn't mean I cater to them. <laughs> some people like bad things. All right, wow. I'm dangerous. Tori, Andrew, take us to the article. <laughs> okay, this is actually, this is a good segue. You know, sometimes in youth ministry, there's no good segue. And you're like, speaking of that, here's a thing, like, speaking of zebras, here's the book of Joshua. This is a yes. good segue, though. So speaking of, like, personalized and unique to context games, um, we have this article. So Carl uh, Vodders writes a lot about... Um, small churches. He writes a lot about how small churches can do ministry and how they can do things differently because a lot of resources that we have uh, are frequently written for big churches. Like I distinctly remember uh, when I was in college reading purpose-driven youth ministry and feeling like Doug Fields describes like, yeah, and these at these 15 weekly programs that your church does, you can fulfill all the five purposes. And I was like, what kind of church has all this? Um, so Carl Vodders, if we're mispronouncing your name, Carl, we're terribly sorry. Um, so he wrote this article called Minister to Next Gen by Leveraging the Relational Power of Healthy Churches. Um, and in it, the article He's sort of- knack for titles too, doesn't he? Like sure that does. Classic small church problem. Don't know how to market themselves well. Um, so he, he actually writes good stuff. You should read his stuff. Um, it's sort of a-, a a shotgun approach. He just, it's sort of a list of different kinds of things that have to do with relational ministry. But the big picture is, is that especially for millennials, Gen Z and Gen Alpha, although I, I suspect this is actually true across the board, um, that the, the sort of way you need to leverage your church is to focus on relationships, um, and healthy churches and, and the way you can interact with people as individuals rather than, rather than trying to find a sort of one size fits all out of the box approach. Um, and so what I really appreciated is he, he sort of dove into a couple of the different ways this can happen. And a lot of these of course are easier for small churches. So things like connecting young people intergenerationally is easier when you don't have any other options and you don't have a critical mass of any one age group that they can kind of silo themselves out. Um, way easier to do intergenerational ministry at a small church because it feels a little bit more natural. Um, or, you know, uh, <laughs> tell stories, don't recite, recite stats, or, you know, no names, not just their needs. At a larger church in a larger context, you sort of have to deal with large groups of people, but at a smaller church, you can deal with individuals. Um, which is why I actually think if, if you're finding yourself in a larger ministry, I say finding yourself like you just stumbled into it. Like, oh, I guess I'm in a large church now. Um, if you're in that setting, um, I think some of the best ministry that happens 
needs to be done despite your large size, not because of your large size. Um, because the temptation at a large church will always be to do things that attract large numbers of people. But none of us come to, none of us grow in Christ through stuff that appeals to masses. All of us grow in one-on-one relationships and being discipled by people and being cared for by individuals. Um, so in, in a lot of ways, this was an encouragement to to me to kind of lean into the kinds of parts of youth ministry, that the aspects that have much less to do with, I don't know, the kind of generic stuff you can read in a book and more like, okay, who are the particular people that I have in front of me? What are their particular needs? And what are their particular gifts? And what does it look like to create a youth ministry that reflects the people I have, not mm -hmm. generic youth culture ideas that I'm trying to figure out how, you know, how the students I really have match up with what I've read about in New York times or something like that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think this was a really helpful article in a lot of ways. <clears throat> My question reading it for you guys was just how much of what he's saying do you think is unique to next, this next gen ministry he's trying to articulate and Andrew, you hinted at this in your intro to it. And how much of this is really just true of good ministry everywhere all the time anyway? Like that, I'm curious about that because he he seems to want to maintain some, um, you know, like under under their one of the sections he says know their names, not just their needs. This sentence begins with this: the church growth era may have started with the phrase, "just a need, find a need and fill it." The print this principle will always be a valid approach to ministry, but and then he goes on to talk about knowing names, and I'm like, I, I he he continually tries to be really gracious. I think to. Um, these older models of ministry, mm. which is kind of him. Um, and that's what, whether he should or shouldn't be is a different question. My question is, but is he, what he's saying really unique to this generation? Or was this probably always the best way to do this ministry? And we just got lured away for a little while by the glitz and glam of big fog machines and 20,000 people services. Yeah, I think that you've got a point there. I mean, like reading this, I I was thinking about Eugene Peterson <laughs> um, and how even though because uh, Vader's kind of aims like like in the article, he he sees his target reader as uh, like boomer pastors. Yeah. Um, and so he's trying to get the boomer pastor to like see that like they've got to make changes in order to continue to reach these younger generations. And um, and I immediately, like, Eugene Peterson is, is my, my like, foil to the average boomer pastor, right? Because he was saying these things forever. Um, and I, I think he was a boomer, right? Yes, I think so. <laughs> we all, we all. What's, what's the generation before boomers? Is it this... What is the silent the generation? Greatest generation? The greatest generation? I don't know. I don't think he was that old. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I think That's he's not the point. I think he was a boomer. No. He was definitely coming, coming like he was ministering at the time of the rise of the mega churches. Yes. And doing something very different. Um, and I think that the the ministry model that he describes is very, very much what. Um, Carl Waters is describing here, right? It's highly relational. Um, it, it's it's knowing people, knowing who they are, and being really involved in their lives. 
Um, so yeah, I think it's always been like a better, a better form of ministry. It's definitely a, a, a more, um, like personal, I think what we see like happening in the new Testament, like as that appeals to people. Ooh, more biblical. Oh, we want to be an biblical. Acts 2 church. Yeah. Um, well, okay. and, and a form of ministry that actually um, is successful in discipling people, right? Because isn't that what Willow Creek determined in a bunch of the like surveys that they did? Like what is actually right. the outcome of giant church ministry is that people are, were not being discipled and they had to make a bunch of changes. So for the sake of our listeners who haven't read the article yet, I just want to talk kind of through the points quickly, maybe not every single one point by point. I thought it might be helpful to start with some of the ones that I noticed that he pointed out that are particularly in contrast to what I would call church growth style leadership. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts and, on those and what other ones you point out. But one of them he says is, um, hold on, let me get back to the right place. Be genuine, not cool. That one struck me as being very stark contrast. There was so much emphasis put on being cool for a long time, especially in youth ministry, but also in large church growth cultures. Like we got to be cool. We got to do cool things. And I deal with that all the time because I have youth leaders who come to me and say, I don't think I'm cool enough to work with the youth. And I always just like, uh, nope, that's not a factor at all. <laughs> Clearly not because I do youth ministry. I am not cool. Um, but there really was, I don't think people are making it up. There was a whole period of time where that was what we mm -hmm. kind of put forward was cool was the key to youth ministry and to church growth in general. And so I really appreciate it. He said, be genuine, um, be who you are, unless you are a cranky old coot, that change who you are. That was a great line. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think... I thought that was one, one of his points that was very starkly in contrast. So, you know, I think some of his other ones were, more timeless, but that one does strike yeah. me as a very stark contrast. Yeah, I think um, on that one in particular, it, it's become more and more clear to me as I've gotten older that relevance, like being relevant to teenagers, is a crutch and a support for young youth pastors to yes. use before they actually get good at doing ministry. Like it is a super helpful thing to kind of <laughs> cover over the fact that when you're 22, you're not really great at doing ministry yet. But the yep. relevance helps overcome your lack of solid ministry skills yet. And then eventually, as you lose some of that relevance, hopefully you've built up the quality relational skills you need to have. So you no longer need relevance to make a connection because you're more confident in who you are. You're more able to be a non-anxious presence, you know, all that kind of stuff built up mm -hmm. over time. Um, and that's not to say like, boo on 22 year olds for being relevant. It's just to say that is, it's a gift that you can be relevant at 22 because there's just so much growth that still needs to happen in terms of being a pastor um, to do these relational things. Cause there's just so much, there's so much about like being a non-anxious presence, being around people when they're in a difficult time and not feeling like you have to say something or not feeling like you need to have the right answer, being able to just be that pastoral figure who is calm and collected and present with someone um, in good and in bad that kind of stuff just requires a significant amount of maturity. Um, yes. Like what that's when I picture Eugene Peterson, I picture someone who's just very good at being in, in the presence of other people in the presence of the Holy spirit, ready to, to like care for them in whatever they're going through. Um, mm -hmm. And that's all relational ministry. Um, 
yeah. So I, I think about that when I think about the the cool factor. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and this point that he's making um, reminds me of the, the uh, like the Fuller Youth Institute. Their their phrase is like "warm is the new cool," mm, um, yeah. which is about the this idea of like it, you don't relevance is not what is necessary to minister to young people. What is necessary is yeah genuineness, actual care, um, investment in right. who who people really are and what's going on in their lives. Um, there was yeah. multiple and parts. I, of I think that's list. a timeless principle. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Multiple parts of this list, I would say, almost directly sync up with some of the five points in Growing Young from Fuller Youth Institute. Yeah. Where yeah. there's a there's some direct connection between what he's talking about and what that book talks about. If no one's read it, if you haven't read Growing Young by Kara Powell and um, I forget all the co-authors, but it's highly worth your time. A great book about church and youth ministry. For example, she says, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, where was it? Um, connect with them intergenerationally is one of his points in, in Carl's article um, and, and says that young people actually want intergenerational connection. Yep. And I think that's exactly right. Um, we, some of my, my best volunteers are some of my older volunteers. Yes. The ones that have, yeah. you know, you know, grandparent age adults who love students are phenomenal. And seeing them just be with the students, it's so obvious to me. Like, it's so obvious to me. And I, uh, even when they don't see it themselves, I'm looking at yeah. it like, this is, this is amazing. And students really value their presence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one point that's interesting to me is the, his go digital and analog. So, you know, it's great to have online stuff, but people come because they want face-to-face experiences. I think that... That is is timeless, but it's also a very recent challenge, especially post-COVID. Um, and it relates to his whole uh, do ministry with them, not for or to them. You know, boomers love to just sit back and, and basically consume content. I think it's an ever-present challenge um, that not just the next generation, but all of us are in the habit of, of consumption as our primary mode of interacting with anything. So like, when we're bored, we consume more content. Um, if if you want to be, if you want to build your online brand, you have to produce this just amorphous content. Just make sure you're getting stuff out there that people can consume, um, mm-hmm. and and all of it requires a certain level of, uh, like the lowest level of activity. Like you're doing just enough to continue consuming, but it requires nothing of you to really participate with it. And I think that's constantly a temptation because so much of our lives revolves around digital consumption that doing ministry where youth or anybody really are invited to participate um is a more fulfilling but not always as immediately gratifying experience um Mm -hmm. it's not as immediately gratifying to have to get up and go to something and be around real people and like deal with other kids in the youth group who are obnoxious or sometimes you're bored and and you can't be entertained at every moment. That's a bigger challenge. Um, But of course we all know it's much better to be with real people in real space and have to actually interact with the body of Christ and be annoyed because it shows you some things about yourself. Um, That's one of those things that in this list stuck out to me because it's not just 
that's not the thing that's going to hook in teenagers necessarily other than the ones who have been drinking the salt water of the world around us enough and are realizing that they want they want pure crisp water um some teenagers have already recognized that i think teenagers often come to that conclusion faster than adults do um but that's sort of a i don't know a a double-edged sword that i think is a a challenge but a gift that the church can offer of real presence in real space with people yeah you said that andrew and it made me really think about how for us as youth leaders who are at least of our age and older we even have to change some of that mindset and accept like oh these kids are getting it faster than if we just offer like you said that cool crisp genuine water you very jesus-like analogy <laughs> right and trust that they, they actually water. want it right like they, they actually want it and it and there is that kind of going back to that thing like when you're younger and less experienced and less secure in your ministry it's like the need to have people participate to have students come can drive you to do things to get that end result instead of just trusting that like hey if we are offering something of high quality of value that is good for you then you'll discover that's something you want um so i think there's a there's a similar aspect to the benefit of um being in ministry long enough to realize like oh it's okay if you don't come i'm just gonna yeah. keep offering something worth having and i think it's actually the hard part about it is um sugar water will bring in more people right like we've seen we've talked i think not on not i was gonna say on camera not not on on recorded podcasts about youth ministries that like do big raffles and come to this big event and you can win a giant prize and stuff like that and that attracts people um and it brings people in but it is the like bait and switch version of church where like come for the big prizes and while you're here we'll tell you about this this good news that radically changes the entire world while you were here to win a new xbox um you get more people by hanging up an xbox and so it looks like success um it's just that it doesn't actually you're 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 basically inviting rocky soil to show up um and sowing all your seeds there rather than recognizing that good soil is maybe not as plentiful but that's where we should be sowing the gospel is places where there's good soil places where there are people who are ready and willing to hear that good news and have it change their lives um so i want to go back to my earlier question if i can i agree with everything we're saying and yet my earlier question and the way um carl vaders frames this is this is changes needed because of this generation and this is the way this generation is that's the way he frames his whole piece. And what I hear in you, Andrew, and you, Ellen, and in myself is saying, no, this is just the right way to do it. <laughs> so I think that we got to engage with that a little bit of like, are, is that true? Or, or is this just a generation that's um, affirming our, our preconceived biases? Like, is this the right way to do it? Or is this a generational thing? What do you guys think? Is it because we're all millennials? Are we all millennials? Yeah, we're all millennials. I'm barely a millennial. I was going to say, I think John Mark is on the edge. So maybe it feels that way to us because we're like, yeah, isn't this obvious? Because yeah. <laughs> this, this is how we want to be ministered to. And probably the style of ministry that comes naturally to us. So I think there's some of that bias there. So so I guess here's the point. Carl Vaders is an, an, appears to be an older man. I don't know him personally, but yeah, he looks older than me. He's a boomer. So he's I, in not another article I read, he identified himself that way. 
So he's coming in saying, hey, this is a change because of this generation. So he gets it, right? He's on board with what we're talking about. But my earlier point was he had some positive things to say about the old model too. So how do we assess if this is like an all-time truth versus, as he frames it, a generational engagement question? I think... I think it's valuable to remember it's valuable to have a bit of uh, intergenerational humility and say the the flaws that we saw in the, the flaws that we look back on and say, oh, youth ministry of 20 years ago always did this. And now we now we know better um, that maybe they were reading, meeting some real needs. Maybe there was real good stuff happening there. Um and and maybe the the sense of like this generation perhaps applies better to this generation as in humans living in the year of our lord 2023 not humans who were born between 2005 and 2017 or something like that right like this generation as in americans living in the post covid world of 2023 have particular needs and perhaps there's actually more commonality between the age groups because of what we've all gone through both in like global pandemic sense, but also in the the technology boom. Um, and maybe boomers and Gen Z responded to that differently, but I think it's affected our brains the same way. I think it's affected our patterns of interactions in some of the same ways. Um, and so maybe it seems apparent like this is how we should do ministry because that's just what it's like to do ministry today. I don't know. What do you guys yeah. think? Well, my, my question I can going back to is like, you were talking about that generational humility. How do we practice the humility of saying, we might've fixed some problems from the previous generation, but what are we missing or not seeing mm. ourselves, right? Like I think about that kind of stuff all the time. Maybe I should be doing more of this or that or whatever. That's an Enneagram one. I think about that all the time, no matter what. So I have a terrible judge of it because hmm. to me, there's always something else I should be doing. Yeah. Um, that's why I'm asking you guys, what do you think? How do we practice that humility of saying, hey, I, because I do agree with everything we've said so far. Uh, and yet, you know, what's what's that generational humility for us to say, you know, are these all time things that are better in every way? Or are there some things that we're missing and that we've lost out in? I don't know. I'm just curious what you guys think. I am. Go ahead, Ellen. I was going to say, I think. I think humility comes in perhaps um, like in the future, but in like, you know, 20, 30 years when we're old, I think it means that we're willing to recognize <laughs> that ministry will change. Um, Yeah, that's kind of my first that we that, well, that we have to cultivate in ourselves an ability to change. Not for us, it's for later. It's not for now. Humility is no, for later. No, I don't think it's not for us now at all. But I like. I think that's what you I said. Don't know. I, that's what I heard. But the, oh my gosh! Well, I mean, it is true that I think this is that like this works better. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Andrew, you go. Maybe you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the the uh oh moment is. Um, uh, I was a few weeks ago. I was gathering with like the quote unquote young clergy from my diocese, which meant largely it was people from like thirty five to forty five, 
Um, <laughs> and the uh-oh moment was the realization that like, as we were reflecting some on the differences between us and clergy who are boomers, the realization that like, we are all ready to like a new group of like incoming clergy, the old people with outdated models. Like there are all, yep. there are 22 year old through 28 year old ministers who are looking at us being like, you guys are messed up. You don't even know what you're talking about. Um, so like, I, I wish it were for later, Ellen, but I think, I think maybe we should have those 22 year old relevant youth pastors on our podcast to come tell us how wrong we are. Um, Maybe. And how we we just don't get it anymore. Um, I don't know. I think I think, think it's twenty two to twenty eight year old youth pastors are about though is relevance. I don't know. We should listeners are any of you twenty two to twenty eight year old youth pastors? Be on our show. Um, <laughs> is that part of our podcast audience? Um, I mean, I'm married to a twenty eight year old, so oh, there you go, <laughs> Dawson. Tell us, tell us what's going on. Um, no, I think some of it is even looking back and saying, honoring, honoring the people who came before and tried to be faithful in what they had, recognizing that they were doing the best with what they were able to do. Um, and, and part of honoring them isn't just to just to wholeheartedly take everything they said and be like, we should do the same. It's to say, right. we want to, we want to reflectively look at what you did and and keep the good things that were there and not change things just for changing things sake but also recognize we are in a different world and right. and in humility do what we think is best <clears throat> while learning it is to be good historians it's to look at and understand the context of where all of that marketing based ministry came from um and what it was responding to rather than just like we know better now well, let me try and take a stab at answering my own question, which is to say, a, a not new thing, something I've heard before in school and seminary, I'm sure you guys have heard it before, but like the values of ministry should never change. Mm -hmm. And the and the methodology will change all the time. Yeah. And so when I'm reading Carl Waters here, um, one of the things I'm looking at is I'm just going through this thing. Like, what is he talking about that are methods and what is he talking about are values? And he does have some of both in there. Yeah. And the methodological ones might be generational, like specific to this time. But some of the value changes, I would say, um, should be all time. So, for example, his first point is relationships are more important than demographics. And I would say that is true because that's a value that should probably be true all times, everywhere. We should always care more about this, the people than the, the demographic numbers or, or I, you know, theoretical groupings of people. However, that's not really a practical thing. He's not telling you what to do with that. He's just saying, here's a value to shift. Now, on the other one, he gets to um, tell stories, don't recite stats. That resonates with me. I'd much rather hear a story than a stat, but that's a method, not a value. So if there's a group of people who love stats, you know what? Go to town. Tell them stats all day long. That's great. Um, so that's a method and that might change over time. So I think that might be the way I would try and answer this question is like, what are the values we're talking about? And those need to be something we can be committed to. And what's the methods? And the humility piece might mean me coming in and saying, can I do that assessment on myself? What are the things that are my values and what are my methods? Mm -hmm. And if someone's challenging my methods, can I just say, okay, fair enough. Let's try something different. 
Um, so I don't know. There's my effort. <laughs> it's a very good faith effort of you. <laughs> that that's that's very diplomatic of you. That's good faith effort. Go. You definitely tried hard there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what good you did, working, John? That's. A, I, I had a I have a friend who um ha- has a love hate relationship with with a church, and he had someone ask him like, "Are there any clergy you actually respect who actually do a good job?" And he thought about it, and he relayed this to me later, and he said, "You know, Father Andrew." He tries really hard. And I was like, I want to put that on my gravestone. He tried hard. He, he did his best. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I also think it's hard to, to. I mean, man, what I'm about to say is like the biggest truism of, of, of all time, right? It's hard to cultivate humility. Because <laughs> what I was about to say was that like cult- cultivating humility, I think is difficult. For uh, like uh, people who are not in charge because they're forced to be humble based on mm. their station. So like when you're like, well, how how does this generation cultivate humility? I'm like, well, <laughs> we're already humbled because we're not allowed to make changes or be in yeah. charge. <laughs> um, and um, but like it's also. I, like I mean, as is evident by this world, it is difficult to cultivate humility when you are the one in power. So I don't know. Only so, by the Holy I Spirit. The pushback, Alan, is is humility the same thing as having or not having power? Like, can we not no. have humility about seeing ourselves rightly, regardless, and seeing things rightly, and seeing, you know, all of that clearly, and acknowledging like those realities, regardless of whether we have the power to change things, like. To predicate, I think this is maybe a problem of my personality because I'm always right. (laughs) This, so do you guys remember um, Dr. Horrible's sing along blog from the year of our Lord 2008? Um, It's a hilarious uh, 45 minute thing. I think it was when Hulu first started, it was like three 15 minute episodes on Hulu in like, you know, like 2008. I'm going to butcher the line in particular, but in it, uh, Neil Patrick Harris is, is this, uh, supervillain, Dr. Horrible. And he's sort of talking about trying to like rise the ranks of the supervillain and be in the evil league of evil and things like that. And at one point he talks about the status quo and he says, the status isn't quo, like the, the world is basically the world is terrible and I just need to be in charge so I can fix it. Um, and I think about that because I actually think we cultivate humility most before we have the ability to exercise power by being in that second chair because it is so easy to be in this like not in the first chair and have all the right ideas about how you're going to do things or how you would do things if you had all the power to do it and it's amazing once you have the ability to change things how those choices feel entirely different um Mm -hmm. like even even apart from ministry world right like it's before you have kids, you're like, oh, I would never do that. And then you have a kid and you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and that shift happens. <laughs> Ellen is shaking her head. She knows exactly what she's doing in parenting. But for the I'm rest of us- I'm not familiar with that feeling yet. <laughs> for the rest of us mere mortals over here, uh, <laughs> we- um, I'm telling you, my personality is a problem, yeah. guys. It's- it's okay. This is a safe space with, with the two of us and all eight of our of our audience. Um, <laughs> right. I, I just think it's it's helpful for us to cultivate that humility um, and recognize yeah. that 
to both feel confident and be thoughtful and really reflective about our ideas and move confidently in trying to trying to minister yeah. in a way that we think truly is a personification of the gospel, not just in f- content, but also in form, all that to be true, while in the back of our minds recognizing uh, that's that's the approach that every minister has done since since the beginning of time, and they came up with pretty bad mistakes. And so um, it would be good for us to recognize and be open to those critiques when 10 years from now, uh, someone's writing the article to all the millennials to say, millennials, you need to stop ministering like this for right. gen beta or whatever comes after gen alpha. Well, I think that this is a great way to bring the conversation back full circle. So we started this talking about an article describing ministry to the next generation. And there's a lot of great ideas. We highly recommend you check out this article by Carl Vodders. But what we kind of landed on is we end up talking about humility, which seems unrelated, but I think is actually so related. Because when we approach ministry with humility, we'll be open to learning, changing, and growing with each generation with their needs. Um, and so I think that's a really actually great place to to end our conversation as we develop and foster humility in our own lives and ministry. Regardless of whether we you know, read this article or follow all these points exactly, our ministry will become more and more relevant, uh, I almost said relevant, more and more uh, effective with each generation because we are practicing humility. So... With that said, thank you guys for joining us today on the Ordinary Youth Ministry Podcast. You can find our podcast online at OrdinaryYouthMinistry.com and at OrdinaryCast. You can also contact us directly with any questions, comments, or ideas at OrdinaryYouthMinistry at gmail.com. We hope this conversation will help you impart a joyful and enduring faith to your teenagers. See you next time.